Back for more fun on the Oklahoma State Beat, Garen Emig, Tulsa World Sports columnist alongside Eli Letterman. He does work the beat for the world, the OSU beat out of Stillwater. He's been busy covering, again, uh, football and uh, and mostly uh, men's basketball. A good week for the Cowboys on that front. We'll get to it eventually, maybe even hit some diamond notes related to OSU baseball and softball. But uh, the football monster continues to, uh, to need food, Eli, and you're providing it and content for the Tulsa world related to a couple of uh, big stories, uh, both of which we should probably talk about. One involving the defensive coordinator position, which remains officially, for now, open, and one involving a transfer portal, which has seen another prominent cowboy enter it. So where do you want to go first? Well, for starters, I know we got to like keep a time here, but the, the podcast listeners are losing out because you've got a nice mock turtleneck and a sweater. I like the look today a lot. Uh. Yeah, and you've gone with the pajama top slash oh, no, casual is, hoodie, it looks like. Yeah, it would be a casual hoodie. I mean, it could, could be warm with the down top, but it has not been. I kind of separation church and state. We've got to meet somewhere in the middle, my man. Yeah. but I, I'm, I, I'm surprised I really you're not have... wearing Tottenham colors after the uh, the big the big performance uh, midweek. Oh, well, yeah. Right back here. So I, I should have thrown that on. But, we, can uh, talk, we can talk Spurs football if you want instead of OSU football. I think that's what the people really want. <laughs> well, on the football that matters here in the Plains in, in Oklahoma and in Oklahoma State, um, I'd say the, the biggest question mark since the Fiesta Bowl and what I'm going to gather is going to be the biggest news over the next week is surrounding the defensive coordinator vacancy. Um, and as things stand, you know, it's really the only name we've heard. And, and now it's being, you know, pretty strongly reported both nationally. And, you know, we've heard some rumblings around here that Derek Mason, uh, the Auburn defensive coordinator for the last year, former uh, Vanderbilt head coach from for much of the last decade, may indeed be the guy who who ultimately replaces Jim Knowles here. That should excite OSU fans. An SEC defensive coordinator, you would think by proxy, will get yeah. a lot of attention. Is is that a good place to start? That if you, if you coordinate a defense in the SEC, you, you probably know what you're doing. Besides the fact that he was a head coach in the SEC for six or seven six or seven years, I think it was. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's Mike Gundy's never really gone conventional with his coordinator hires, but this would, would land on, on the probably the side nearer to convention and, and probably to a lot of people some shock is, is on the surface an SEC coordinator leaving, you know, Auburn, which, I mean, say what you want about last season or, or the last couple, but that's a, a if, if you're not Alabama, Georgia, or Florida, LSU, Auburn's kind of right there in, in the SEC. So that, that in itself on the surface is a big deal. I think, um, you know, where, where you maybe wedge that gap on logic is, is there's been some rumblings out of Auburn about Brian Harson, um, the new head coach there who came from Boise State and sort of maybe a divide in his staff of, of the Boise State guys and, and everyone else. And that might be that that thread may follow in the in some reporting from this morning. It's Friday morning uh, that the next defensive coordinator, potentially the replacement to Derek Mason, is a Boise State guy who's been on that staff, Jeff Schmetting. Mm-hmm. And so that that part, that, that may help there, that there's the $1.5 million salary. I think we're all wondering what this, whoever the next defensive coordinator here is, what they might be paid, given what we, we've heard that Jim Knowles might have been offered before he left for Ohio State. And so uh, I don't even know what the original question here was, but we've, we've gone around it on, on Derek Mason. And I, I, I think in the end, this this would be on paper a pretty strong hire and one that fans here would, would likely be excited about. You know what I might suggest OSU fans do if they really want to get worked up over over this this potential uh, hire? 
don't, don't, don't so much focus on his, on Mason's one season at Auburn. And, you know, he, he did, he was a head coach in the SEC, but it was at Vanderbilt. And <laughs> so almost, it's all, that's almost an Astros situation. Uh, but it's, it's how he earned a shot to be a head coach that really made his name, right? If you go back to his time at Stanford, uh, I think he was defensive coordinator two, two years. He was there like four. And I think he was defensive coordinator in 2011 and 12. They did some really big things uh, back, back during that time and put up some, some heavy numbers. I think the sack record uh, for a single season was, is 57. So, again, if you're looking to excite a, a fan base about a hire, you throw a number about what kind of uh, what kind of you know big play potential that this guy brings. You might you might have to retreat ten years into the archives, but you'll find it. And it's and it's not so much in the SEC; it's in the Pac-12 with Stanford. Yeah, well, I mean, for starters, there on Stanford, a lot of people wonder what connections there are between Mike Gundy and Derek Mason, and, and there's really very few. But one of them would be that so, so Derek Mason got there in 2010 to Stanford. 2011, he was the co-defensive coordinator for the Stanford team that. Oklahoma State beat, dropped 41 points on. So maybe people will take that as a, yeah. as a negative. But, that, but so that's, that was really, I think, as far as, you know, publicly, we know the first time they came across each other, Derek Mason and Mike Gundy. But then the next two years, he was their defensive coordinator. And, and you know, those teams, especially 11 and 12, were defined by Andrew Luck. But they had some, some stellar defenses. And that's what got Derek Mason an SEC head coaching job. And, yeah, Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. And uh, I think he only had two six-win seasons there. Um, so, so the numbers weren't special, but, you know, he, he did do some good things there. I know he had three ADs over the course of his eight years and yeah. try making progress at a school like that under those circumstances. But, uh, again, I think, you know, when, when we heard Mike Gundy speak following the Fiesta Bowl, he was looking not for a specific type in terms of, uh, you know, a guy who could coach the linebackers, the, the group that Jim Knowles gave up. He wanted a play caller. He wanted someone who shares a lot of the qualities that Jim Knowles had. And I'm sure we'll dive deeper into this if, if Derek Mason is indeed the next defensive coordinator. But, but I'd imagine that, you know, based on his experience and, and the work he put in um, at Stanford the last time, I guess, prior to Auburn, that he was a coordinator. And this past season was, was good at Auburn. They were six and seven. So you, you kind of got to take the numbers you see with, with a grain of salt. If, you know, if they were 61st in total defense, well, for a six and seven team, maybe yeah. that's not so bad. Uh, but but I think he may fit the mold on what Mike Gundy was looking for. Yeah, and if you again, if you want to brush up on on Mason and you don't want to go all the way back to Stanford when he was a uh, like like Knowles, a Broyles uh, Award finalist, um, he uh, he did uh, help preserve his standing. If if he if he had his ups and downs in his one season with Harson at Auburn, I think he sort of flipped the curve a little bit in terms of what Auburn did against Alabama in the Iron Bowl, yeah. a game that you and I watched in the press box at uh, Boone Pickens Stadium. That was Bedlam night, wasn't it? Was that Bedlam night? I don't I know. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it was. Anyway, one of the last teams to just completely shut down what we're saying is uh, as Alabama's offense was Auburn, and that was Derek Mason's defense. So, anyway, uh, this, this guy's focus has been on the secondary – any does that mean anything for Dan Hammerschmidt and Tim Duffy, the two court uh, secondary coaches for the Cowboys? Yeah, I mean that's probably the other part of where people have poked holes in, in some of this speculation is he's not you know the, the opening on Mike Gundy's staff in terms of assistant roles is, is to coach linebackers and and Derek Mason's experience lies in, in the secondary and that might prove quite important um, as we'll probably get to but 
right now, you know, that's two of Mike Gundy's longest tenured uh, assistants are, are Tim Duffy and Dan Hammerschmidt in the secondary. So I don't know if, uh, if it's a case where Derek Mason would slot in at linebackers and maybe bring in a, another assistant to assist there and, and sort of in the mold of, of Coy McFarland. If you listen to, to Mike Gundy, he'd tell you that Jim Knowles only did so much with the linebackers and that Coy McFarland had a big role. And, and he obviously right. had followed Jim Knowles to Ohio State, but that'll, that, that's probably one of the question marks uh, if this hire goes through is, do, does he just slot in there and they figure it out or, or is there movement um, within the staff? And, and, you know, I touched on the first connection between Mike Gundy and, and Derek Mason, 2011 Fiesta Bowl. The second uh, would have been the 2020 National Championship. They shared the, the coach's film room. It was Mike Gundy, Derek oh, Mason, yeah. Jeff Halfley from uh, Boston College, and of course the, the music man, Gary Patterson. <laughs> So, uh, so they, you know, who knows? And I, I think I've heard, you know, Mike Gundy came away from that, you know, not so much impressed saying I'm going to make this guy my next defensive coordinator in a couple of years, but it seemed like they hit it off that night. I may, maybe worth revisiting that footage and sitting through. That was the okay. LSU Clemson uh, title game. So the game wasn't all that close, but it might be interesting to revisit that film room. Bring up Patterson. Now I want to spend five minutes talking about what happened in Austin this week. Gary <laughs> Patterson joining uh, Steve Sarkeesian's staff. That that might be worth a, a discussion, perhaps in the summer when we're really hunting for material, right? But um, let's let's stay on track instead. Let's stay with the OSU secondary and talk about players and depth chart because it's good gracious, man. After uh, <laughs> Jason Taylor is now the, the he's the one that's got the probably the video of, of the Fresh Prince looking around the room and wondering yeah. where everyone. Wasn't wasn't that who was that before? That was Jarrett Bernard. That's Converse. what I thought. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yesterday, Jarrett Bernard Converse goes into the portal, and that was, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, it's now up to eleven scholarship players from OSU in the portal, and and still, you know, the bulk of that is not guys who were going to be contributors next year necessarily. But Jarrett Bernard Converse certainly was one. And a few weeks ago, after Colby Harvell Peel declared for the draft, it was Jarrett Bernard Converse who had that the Will Smith Fresh Prince uh, meme or gift. Uh, and I'm supposed to be the one who knows all the young person references. GIF or GIF? Uh, it's a GIF. A GIF. Yeah. Maybe it's no, I made a GIF. I, you threw me off. <laughs> but nonetheless, Will Smith pacing around the empty lot, uh, living room in, in the house in Bel Air. And that house is now emptier without Jarred Bernard Converse because uh, he's headed to the portal. He was, I really think, was going to be a key piece coming back in that secondary next year because. Christian Holmes is, is out of eligibility. The second, uh, the safeties group is, is pretty thin now. Colby Harvell Peel to the draft, Trey Sterling to the draft, Tanner McAllister to Ohio State. And, and I think they were really going to need and, and lean on, you know, a third-year corner, fifth-year overall. But in the two seasons he's been at cornerback, Jared Bernard Conference has been great. And having him back both as a sense of stability and I'm sure some leadership would have been big, but now he's presumably headed elsewhere for his final season of eligibility and it leaves – Jason Taylor, uh, who, who was uh, probably the big pleasant surprise in the back end of the defense this year, but now he's kind of the, the resident elder. And, uh, and, and I don't know what that it's, says for, on the whole for, for the secondary next year. Two names that came to mind immediately when we saw the Bernard Converse Bulletin, Corey Black and Jabbar Muhammad, right? Two, mm -hmm. two, two guys who, as last year moved forward, Again, everyone be ended the year, especially kind of fixated on the safeties because that, that's where all the experience and the and the and the um, the, the name power was. But as Holmes and Bernard Converse asserted themselves on the corners, that happened. And then you also saw 
I think contributions from Black and Muhammad, Black especially, right? Because he he stepped in for a lot of snaps that he yeah. did not on the perimeter. Yeah, and, so, and, and so do we focus more specifically on him with, with this development? Well, I mean, if you go all the way back to, to fall camp when it was Gerard Bernard Converse as the top cornerback and that second spot was open, maybe it was always going to be the case that the veteran transfer linebacker Christian Holmes is going to claim that spot. But it was an open competition. I think those guys pushed him. They were both sophomores, Corey Black and Jabbar Muhammad. They pushed, and Christian Holmes went on and, and had his best season of college football. Um, and so maybe that was that was always going to be the case, that he was going to be the guy. But behind him and, and filling in, certainly at times, were, were both of those guys. Um, Corey Black probably to a larger extent. Uh, he had three fumble recoveries on the year. He, he kind of had that Jason Taylor touch of being at the right place at the right time. Um, but then the Fiesta Bowl, it was all about Jabbar Muhammad. I think only Devin Harper and Malcolm Rodriguez had more tackles against Notre Dame than Jabbar Muhammad. So they both shown flashes. Uh, Jim Knowles was really, really high on both of them, spoke about them as, as guys who had NFL qualities in terms of their athleticism and their size and speed. And so I think all that is there. And then they showed it in bits and pieces. The question would just be, you know, when you're rolling in with two junior safeties who have really never started next year, how precarious a situation is that? What are the growing pains going to be like, even if the talent is there? All right. OSU football, as the world turns, as uh, Stillwater turns, goodness gracious. Of course, it's this, it's like this everywhere. We, we mentioned this last week, Eli. It's This is not just Oklahoma State going through it. Transition is a reality now for every FBS program, including the superpowers, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. They, the portal is, you're not immune, right? And so this is, get used to it, basically. We're, we're having to get used to it. We're essentially, re, used to be that maybe two or three new names you'd have to sort of brush up on uh, in the immediate aftermath of a season. Now it's almost an entire lineup because it's, it's gotten that, uh, that, that crazy. Um, so basketball, we owe Mike Boynton a, an apology for, <laughs> for implying that the Cowboys were in serious trouble when we spoke last week, but headed to Baylor to play the bears. Uh, and, and B we owe him some time because uh, this is a potential pivot week for the program, not just what the OSU did in Waco last weekend, but uh, the fact that they were to, uh, to to snatch victory from the proverbial jaws of defeat at midweek against uh, TCU Wednesday night, what, do you, what did you see and what did you like? Yeah, well, it has been quite a turnaround. A week ago today, we were talking about, you know, a loss to Baylor and, and maybe coming home to TCU in this season going off the rails. And I think for the time being, they've certainly salvaged that. Use the term pivot week. I think that's, that's good. They, they shot away from turning point after Baylor. Um, but, you know, the, the fact is that after um, – the other night against TCU, that's the first time they've won consecutive games since late November. And Mike Boynton said he doesn't pay attention to that, hadn't even thought of it, but there's no disputing that that's big. That they've, they've, they've been one step forward, at least one step back for the better part of a month and a half now. And so this this week and, and the win against TCU was, was, was a night, you know, the kind of games that I guess good teams ultimately win because Oklahoma State didn't do a lot, of, do a lot well, shot very poorly in the first half. They were miserable from the foul line before hitting their final six shots to salvage, I think, 56% from the line. There were seven to 16 on their first 16 attempts, and it was it was hard to watch. And, and so going into that final minute, they were down, uh, I think, prior to that, nine points with three minutes left. It felt like, all right, Baylor win was great, and TCU you kind of returned to earth. And then they snatched it from, as you put it, from the very end. Rondell Walker went off with, with as he said, one contact lens missing makes it all the more impressive. I'm, I'm not a glasses wearer or contact wearer, but I can't imagine that's easy. 
um, and got Oklahoma State a, a much needed win as they now head to Texas. You know what this week was a was it a reminder of is that there is there is still a pretty high ceiling I think for this team and just in terms of talent right I mean we kind of talked about this but you get Bryce Thompson emerging at Baylor against a, still the number one ranked team in the, in the nation at the time with with essentially a breakout game and then you have Rondell Walker uh, rescuing what what happened Wednesday night in Stillwater. Uh, maybe that's Avery Anderson against Texas and Austin tomorrow. Uh, maybe that's uh, you know one of the Boone twins uh, next week in the SEC. Where they get where they Florida? You said that they go to Florida yeah. next weekend. Um, pieces are still there, right? I think that might be what this team is, even at its best, is a team that on the defense starts on the defensive end. They turned TCU over twenty-two times. That was massive. They really contained Mike Miles. It sounds like he may be playing through an injury, but. He came in averaging 16.9 uh, nine points per game and started 0 for 10, didn't score until the 10-minute mark in, in the second half. Uh, so they did well on the defensive end. And then I think on the other side, it's it's getting whatever production they can get throughout the game and then hoping that, I mean, on a bench, you know, past the starting five, on a bench that goes five six deep, that one of those guys, because there is so much talent and so much ability, can do it for you on a given night. And it was Bryce Thompson at Baylor, it was Rondell Walker, uh, the, the other night, and, you know, even uh, probably deserves some praises, Tyreek Smith, the Texas Tech yeah, right. and really stepped into Caleb Boone's role, and, and Caleb Boone is kind of his own story. Um, you know, Mike Boynton's just said, you know, he's, he's a little lost right now, and, and it's just what he's working through, but Tyreek Smith has, has filled that void, and he had the crucial block in between the three-pointer and, and Rondell Walker's free throws um, that was as crucial as either of those two things for Rondell Walker, and so they're getting that. They're starting to get, I think, what we all thought from, from the role players and the guys who can step up on an individual night. Um, but what I'd say is, you know, they go to Texas and we were saying it sitting up top, you know, all the way basically in the rafters at, at Gallagher River Arena the other night. We had no idea how that game was going to go with, with this Oklahoma State team. And I don't think I – I may not have a feel for them uh, in any game the remainder of the season because they, they just fluctuate uh, so far in both directions. And so we'll see if, if they can cap off what would be a pretty tremendous week um, at Texas tomorrow with, with another win. Hey, another team that you don't know which what you're going to get out of out of uh, night and night. That's Texas. I mean, they just they yeah. just lost at home to Kansas State. Um, you talk about a team that has a ceiling that is is nowhere. That, I mean, they're ranked. I think they're still ranked, uh, but but they should be they should be ranked higher. Honestly, given the combination of talent that Chris Beard has and the fact that it's Chris Beard coaching that talent, that's that's a little bit of a mystery. So I'm fascinated to see what happens at Austin. From there, again, the Cowboys play Iowa State, right? Iowa next State Wednesday and then next weekend at Florida. And what's funny, I was on a radio show this morning, a Big 12 radio show, and they asked me who the worst team in the Big 12 was, men's basketball. And I just, like, threw my arms up. Forget you it. Say, you would probably have said Kansas State, their bottom of the league, but they can go beat Texas. And only above them in, in the conference is Oklahoma. And I maybe I'm just not paying enough attention to the conference standings. I would, I'm like floored to find out that I guess they've, they've just lost close games. The bottom line is there is not a soft spot on anybody's schedule. Not, if, if Kansas State isn't that, then there is not, not a soft team in this conference. I wrote a midweek column for the world on Porter Moser over at Oklahoma and did a little sniffing around the net rating, something I hadn't done much of because I hadn't really followed college basketball until now, and realized that the lowest rated, this was as of uh, Wednesday, the lowest rated Big 12 team in the, in the uh evaluation tool that's essentially the new RPI when it comes to rating teams and that's 
as a tool is um, is Kansas State. That's but they're sixty five, Eli. Every other conference has a team in the two hundreds. Every other Power Five. Yeah, I think the ACC is the only one that whose worst team isn't in the two hundreds, and that's Pitt at one eighty eight. So that it's it's I don't I'm still not sure there's a national championship contender in the bunch. Kansas at times looks the part. Baylor still <laughs> with the, the yeah. roster turnover that Scott Drew has managed to still is plugging in stars to replace stars. I don't. I'm still not sure about that high end potential, but top to bottom, it's indisputable in terms of league strength. I mean, Kansas feels to me like the one on town alone that if they can tie it all together come March, yeah. I mean, they're just scary. But I, I'm with you that for all the. It, it's funny that in what might be, if you go back, could could be maybe the toughest. Big 12 conference on the whole in history. There might not be a four, final four team there, but it's it's a bloodbath, and it, it does make it all all the more a shame that we're only going to have one of these Oklahoma schools in yeah. the, in, the, in the second week of March. No doubt, because I, I think it's going to be tremendously fun. I think Oklahoma State might be built if for nothing else, but for a conference tournament where where they're familiar with the teams and can kind of go on a run because they have all those pieces. And, and so the, the, the thing that's hung over this whole season will hang over that, too, where Oklahoma State will they'll still be hanging out here with me in Stillwater. <laughs> I'll give OSU fans as we leave. Let's give OSU fans a reason to look forward to spring. Yeah. And that's the combination of softball and baseball. Uh, how about the, uh, the national top 25 coming out in college softball this week and seeing the, uh, the Cowgirls right on Oklahoma's heels at number three? I guess that's not a surprise given what Kenny Gajewski has done with that yeah. program, but Man, you talk about reality setting in as to just how special the situation we have it around here when it comes to, to college softball. It's going to be an awesome softball season. I'm really stoked about that because you've got Oklahoma and all they've done and reigning national champions. But on their tails, as you said, is Oklahoma State. is their highest preseason ranking, from at least from D1softball.com. Um, and they finished second in the Big 12 preseason poll behind Oklahoma. And so expectations here are going to be sky high. And, and that's in part due to the talent they're bringing back, but also that the flurry of transfers that Kenny Gajewski has been able to bring in. I mean, he's brought, he essentially brought in, in, in Miranda Elish, uh, you know, one of the best pitchers in the conference from Texas and one of the conference's best hitters in, from Kansas and Morgan Wynn. And he reinforced elsewhere. He's got a catcher from Florida. So a good, a team that was, was strong last year and had its best finish in the big 12 only got better. And so it's going to make uh, make for a fun spring season. Yep, transfer portal works uh, works in mysterious ways, not just in college football, my friends. Uh, ask ask Kenny Gajewski sometime about uh, how the how you can both benefit and and languish as a result. Mostly benefit if, if you're well, Gajewski. As I was, I would point out to the, the all college football fan base or college fan bases on the whole, transfer portal works both ways. Mm-hmm. Good message to leave with, don't you think? Who did the Spurs have this weekend? Chelsea. So we'll see if I'm feeling oh, good. But maybe hey. moon. that'll send us an international break. End of the transfer window, we'll be we'll be riding high. <laughs> More transfer talk. <laughs> All right. So so we'll talk about uh, how the Spurs came out next week, as well as uh, more on the Cowboys. Uh, as uh, Mike Gundy re, re, uh, resettles the staff, maybe resettles his roster. Uh, we'll see how Mike Boynton's Cowboys did uh, coming off another big week for them as they head toward the SEC Challenge weekend at Florida. Have a good week, Eli. We'll talk to you next week, man. All right, you too. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll be back uh, with you on TulsaWorld.com as well as uh, any podcast uh, home that you might find convenient or available. Thanks for listening and watching.
For more information, you can visit TulsaWorld.com.